Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. We always say it and we think it's true. Let's see what the buzz is today. I have a quote from a Deloitte report called Diversity and Inclusion, the Reality Gap. Well, that gives you a clue. Here's the quote. Listen up. The era of diversity as a check-the-box initiative owned by HR is over. CEOs must take ownership and drive accountability among leaders at all levels to close the gap between what is said and actual impact. That is a packed statement, and that's why I chose it for our opening quote today. Let's examine this. We're going to be speaking to two experts in the field, and here's what one of them told me before the show. She says, diversity is an X factor that overcomes the trappings of bias, but there needs to be a second ingredient that overcomes the tenacity. I'm going to say the tentacles, the grip of bias. Enter data, stage left. Before we go on, I'm going to introduce a little definition of X factor. I know there are a couple of TV shows floating around, singing shows, performance reality shows, but what is an X factor? Actually, it refers to a noteworthy special talent or quality that is undefinable and undefinable something that makes for star quality. You know, the French say it's a je ne sais quoi. I don't know what. It's just undefinable. It's also a variable in a given situation that could have the most significant impact on the outcome. And I think that's what we're talking about here. So diversity plus data is the X factor empowering women beyond just being reactive in leadership and beyond intuition bias. What's the point of all this? We want women to become stronger transformational leaders. That's what companies need today. We want to arm them to anticipate and plan for change, to seize career opportunities. And, and this reflects back on their businesses, open new competitive doors for their companies. That's a lot to expect. Is your company there yet? We're going to help you find out with our three panelists. Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll get started with their opening quotes. First up, one of my colleagues at SAP, she is Shannon Platt. She's been on Game Changers Radio before, and she pitched this topic to me, and I loved it. So here we are. She is the Global Vice President for SAP's Platform Ecosystem. And then we have a newcomer, Rita Salam, S-A-L-L-A-M, Research Vice President in the Business Analytics and Data Science Team at Gartner. Welcoming Rita. And welcoming back a lady who was on many, 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 many moons ago here on Game Changers Radio when she owned her own company. We'll talk to her about that. She is Cindy Housen, H-O-W-S-O-N, if you want to look her up, Research Vice President at Gartner. So we have two panelists from Gartner today. Very happy to have you all here. Shannon sent me the following opening quote from Mark Twain. We've heard this quote before, but it's so perfect for this topic. Anybody too young to know who Mark Twain is in our listening audience? Samuel Langhorn. Clemens, 1835 to 1910. His pen name was Mark Twain, an American writer, humanist, entrepreneur, publisher, and lecturer. You may have heard of his books, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, 1875, still very, very alive and well, and its sequel, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, 1885, and that is what is referred to as the great American novel. When you write too much, what are you giving me? The great American novel, that's a reference point. Here's the quote Shannon has selected. 
It ain't what you know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. I feel like we should have a melody to go with this, Shannon. Don't you think there's a song in there somewhere? Welcome. (laughs) How are you, Shannon? (laughs) I'm doing well, Bonnie. I I think it's just one of those... uh, those honest statements that we just have to put in front of ourselves, you know, on a daily basis to uh, make sure we're keeping our eyes wide open. So. so tell me about this, Eyes Wide Open Diversity. You're the one who wrote the wonderful blog on digitalistmag.com at SAP, and I found the references that you sent me for the this topic for the overview, Shannon. So what is it that people know for sure that just ain't so when it comes to diversity? We are focusing on women and opportunity today, but not just on personal or career development opportunity, but on opportunities to move companies forward. So what? how does this relate specifically to our topic? Give me a little more, Shannon. Yeah. So I think, I think first of all, when we think about diversity, we think, oh, okay, if we have a cross-section of this, uh, in different looking employees, different age employees, different um, backgrounds and experiences, that that really is giving us diverse diversity and we've achieved, right? And that is really just the very first small step we take is creating a group of people that bring a lot of um, different perspectives to the table. What it does for us in business is actually gives us an important leg up beyond just having having an environment where it's the, the socially right thing to do. We now are getting perspectives in terms of what are new untapped markets that we've never thought about? What are unserved needs in the marketplace? How do we tap into that and create new innovations based on whatever products or, or services we provide in the marketplace? This is something that is, applies to all companies. It applies to all organizations, whether you're a nonprofit, whether you're for-profit, whether you're big or small. You can embrace these concepts of diversity to help you look at ways in which you can take your organizations to a new level by really introducing and finding new opportunities that have been unmet. A diverse population is going to bring those perspectives, and I'm glad we're going to get an opportunity to even dive in deeper today. But I want people to understand, yes, we need to be doing this because it's the right thing to do, and it makes us better organizations overall. But it also does things for the bottom line and for our innovation culture and to be more market-serving and customer-service-oriented is when we have that empathy and that understanding and, and then move it forward. Thank you, Shannon. That's what I was looking for. And it's interesting that you talked about the bottom line. We do a lot of shows. We actually have a, a spinoff series called uh, Game Changers with Purpose. It's a spinoff of our series, The Future of the Future with Game Changers. Shannon and they decided purpose was so important. And that relates back to CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility. And what we seem to be focusing on all those shows is what does it do for the bottom line? Is it a check the box? Is it nice to have social good, social innovation, social commerce, helping other cultures, helping other people? And now we're talking today about diversity and the X factor and data. And I'm glad you mentioned the bottom line because that really, I think, is where a lot of C-suite people say, okay, so we'll say we have, diver- okay, D&I, diversity and inclusion, that's lovely. And the shareholders will love us and the stockholders will love us and the millennials will love us. But it really has to have a business impact, doesn't it, Shannon? Absolutely. 
Thank you. Good opening to the show. And now let's meet Rita Salam. And Rita has sent us a quote from Maya Angelou, born Marguerite Annie Johnson. I didn't know that. 1928 to 2014, an American poet, memoirist, and civil rights activist. She published seven autobiographies, three books of essays, several books of poetry, and was credited with plays, movies, and TV shows spanning over 50 years and received dozens of awards and more than 50 honorary degrees. She's best known for her autobiography, the first one called I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Very interesting lady, active in the civil rights movement and worked with Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. And I'll leave that for there. And here's the quote Rita has selected. Having courage does not mean we are unafraid. That's a new Maya Angelou quote for us on the show, Rita. Thank you so much for that. Welcome. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. Thank you for inviting me to the show. I'm really we are delighted. We're delighted. So, talk to me. How did you pick this quote on the topic that we started discussing with Shannon a few minutes ago? What's the impact here? Yeah, I love this quote, particularly as it relates to addressing diversity, because addressing diversity in business, even though we know we have studies that show over and over again that diversity is great for business, it still means challenging the status quo. And, you know, there's never been a time in all aspects of our life, but particularly as it relates to the X factor, empowering women, or more, I I like it better, really letting women use the power they already have um, Mm -hmm. as leaders, you know, that every every single one of us as leaders, as individual contributors, as parents, um, you know, when uh, there's never been a time when courage is just more important um, to do what's not only right, but necessary to teach what's right, to use platforms like these, you know, whether they're big or small, to just challenge the status quo. And more importantly, another factor of the X factor that we will likely talk about a lot is to use Mm -hmm. data. You know, data is really our superpower uh, to challenge conventional wisdom, to leverage the voice and power that all of us have to affect change. But guess what? That's really scary. And uh, hard things are scary, but we can't let that stop us. And so uh, that's why I love this quote, you know, in a world where we don't, if we don't embrace the power that we have, if we don't use the data superpowers we have to affect change, that world is going to be even scarier. So fully leveraging the X factor and all forms of diversity really requires, I think, that type of scary courage that I think Maya Angelou sort of refers to in this quote. And that's why I love it. Thank you, Rita. I love it, too. It is. And while you were speaking, I looked up the definition of courage. I was just curious to see what, I don't know which dictionary I ended up with, something Google found for me. Of course, of course. (laughs) And it says, the ability to do something that frightens one and strength in the face of pain or grief, fearlessness, intrepidity, never heard of that one, nerve, daring, audacity, boldness, grit, Hardihood, heroism, gallantry, pluck, courageousness, and bravery. I think the quote captured that absolutely beautifully. Thank you so much. It was defining the definition in a sense. Thank you, Rita. We're delighted to have you and looking forward to a lot more with you. Yes, we will talk. X Factor should be every third word in the next hour for all three, all four (laughs) of us. So we're just going to use that a lot because that's what people are interested in. What is that X Factor? How are we going to get there? We talk and talk and talk about it, but what's really going to make it happen? Again, welcome, Rita. 
And now welcoming back Cindy Housen. It's been years since we spoke. She was the founder. Let's see what we've got here in your bio. Cindy founded BI Scorecard. And Cindy, I think you're on one of my earliest shows on Game Changers Radio, probably back in 2012, something like that. I know we met or maybe I interviewed you at an early Sapphire when I first started at SAP. But let's see what quote Cindy has sent us. Oh, it's also from Maya Angelou. So this is the Maya Angelou show. I like that. Here's the quote. There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. I want to say amen. Cindy Housen, welcome back. And how are you? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm great. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. Talk to me about this quote. We've had a great one from Rita from Maya Angelou about courageous. And now we're talking about an untold story. Whose story is it we're going to talk about when we discuss the X Factor? I know. So it, it is ironic that Rita and I both chose a quote from the same poet. Uh, we do sometimes think alike, but I discovered this quote probably about 10 years ago because I'm a writer. I'm an avid reader. And I think about the number of untold stories that are out there, not just from women, but really from any minority trying to break into the tech space. And I think a lot of times, even you just now introducing me, we spoke about our accomplishments mm-hmm. and we hesitate to share those personal stories. And, and I, I, too, feel more comfortable talking about what I've accomplished rather than the journey, the backstory to get there. And somebody once came up to me at a conference, an event that, that I was hosting and said, well, this must be so easy for you because you have so much self-confidence. You look like you've been doing this all your life. And I thought, mm. huh, if only she knew my backstory, you know, very difficult childhood upbringing uh, raised by my father, had to put myself through college. And I thought about there was one brave soul in a panel last year on leadership and women in tech, Diane Bryant from Intel. And she told the story of why she chose a career in engineering and technology. And she flat out said, I needed the money. I knew my family Mm. would not support me. And so we heard from so many great speakers, but it was her story, the untold story that stayed with me. And I hope we can all find a way to talk about these untold stories a little more as inspiration and guidance to other people moving into this space. I couldn't agree more, Cindy. Very, very wonderfully said. Thank you so much. Yeah, the the stories are what makes us people, aren't they? That's what gets us past the slides and past the outlines and past the speeches. I will tell the three of you that that's why when I designed Coffee Break with Game Changers, the show you're on, and by the way, we have 38 other series under the banner of Game Changers Radio, the format is always real people having a real conversation and sharing some stories, case studies, and even some personal background, because I think that's that's what makes people believe you. Would you agree that, Cindy? Trustworthiness, authenticity. Why should I listen to him? Why should I listen to her? Because maybe I can relate to them. What do you think, Cindy? 
Yes, absolutely. And I know this is the structure. You're trying to get to our stories. You're trying to catch us in something, too. It makes for more <laughs> you, you know something, Cindy? You're, you're making me recall why, as a young divorcee living 3,000 miles away from my family, trying to raise two young children by myself, and I went back to school. I already had a degree in psychology, and I couldn't do a damn thing with that. And I went to, for my graduate school, I went to a community college in Eugene, Oregon, and my parents had sent me a bunch of brochures and the brochures were yeah. all kinds of professions. And one of them was computer programmer. And I thought, well, that sounds really cool. What the blank is it? So I went to the college and I said, I think I want to take a class in computer programming. And they said, oh, we're sorry. It's completely full. So many people think it's cool that they all want to be. They said, but here's the secret. Come to the class for the next two weeks. Just find a chair. Stand in the corner. After two weeks, most of the people will drop out because it's either not what they want or it's too hard. And then there'll be plenty of room and you can take the course. And I did. And I did. And they did. And I did. And I graduated two years later with two degrees. My graduate degrees are associates of science in programming and operations. And they hired me to run a statewide community college data reporting system right out of school. But I have no idea looking back other than it intrigued me, it interested me, it was going to use the math side of my brain, and it was fascinating that most of my classmates were dropouts from professional graduate schools. Some had gone to law school and didn't like it. Some had gone to med school. Some wanted to be an architect. We were a, a conglomerate, a conglomeration of people with different hopes and dreams and goals who ended up as programmers. And we were good. And I'd say at least half of the class were women. So there you go. And a lot of them were single women like me, divorcees, or just single all the time. So anyway, interesting, Cindy. That That's my story. I shared it there. I don't have to say it again. So thank you very much. And in case you're wondering, the topic today is the X factor. Yes, we've dropped that a couple of times, so we're going to do it more. STEM, diversity, bias, and the competitive business. And we have to add the four-letter D word in there, data. We're talking with Shannon Platts, Rita Salam, and Cindy Housen. And now it's time to find out where they're calling from and what they love to drink the most. So, Shannon Platts, where are you today? And what's in your cup today? And if it's just blah, blah, boring, tell me what you absolutely love to drink in the whole wide world. It can be an alcoholic beverage, if you like, even though it's only 1120 here in the East Coast. Go ahead. (laughs) I give you permission. I am in Atlanta, Georgia today. So, um, iced tea is about, I think, the standard drink here. But um, one of my favorite drinks this time of year is an Arnold Palmer. So it's a little bit of lemonade and a little bit of iced tea. And uh, then when I move to the evening, uh, nothing beats a good margarita, frozen margarita. So uh, I love summer, and I love all the drinks that come with summer. So uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Thank you. And Shannon, I'm in Durham, North Carolina, so I'm going to wave down down the coast to you a little bit. I hope you don't get the storm. <laughs> We're supposed to get more thunderstorms here today. By the way, do you know what happens to an Arnold Palmer when you add vodka? Do you know what you call it? <laughs> a Long Island iced tea, I believe. No, 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 no. No? No, it's a, it's a John Daly. It's called John Daly. <laughs> I think he's an, another golfer. So alcoholic Arnold Palmer is it? I'm writing that one down, Bonnie. I'm writing that one down for just for Google Arnold meeting. Palmer. It's right there. Thank you very much. <laughs> and you can also find out how many calories are in it and how much the net worth of all Arnold Palmer is all at the same place. Oh my goodness, drink <laughs> up, as they say. Thank you, Rita Salam at Gartner. Rita, a couple of things. Number one, where are you calling from? Number two, what's your favorite drink? And number three, what's your role at Gartner? What do you do that makes you so interested in this topic? Go ahead, Rita. 
Okay, so I am in Fulton, Maryland today, outside of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., um, and I am in the business analytics and data science team at Gartner, along with Cindy. Cindy's my colleague there, and I basically do everything, I research everything about data and analytics, including uh, vendor comparisons. I help companies with vendor selections. I help them organize and develop strategies to be successful with data and analytics. And so it's quite honestly the best job in the world um, because I get to help people with data, two things I really love. Mm-hmm. So in terms of my drink, well, Cindy will tell you because we work closely. I'm one of the very strange people on the planet that actually I've never liked coffee. I've never tasted coffee. I've never really even been able to down a full cup of coffee until um, I visited Saudi Arabia and I tasted mm. Saudi yellow coffee, which is brewed with cardamom and saffron and served in really tiny cups without sugar. But you drink it while you're eating tiny, sweet yellow dates. And I thought that would be a great choice to honor the X Factor. You may ask wow. why that. <laughs> that is so cool. I don't think we've ever had that. I'm looking at Arabic coffee, <laughs> refers to a version of the brewed coffee. Let me see. No, that's not what I wanted. I did no, find yellow Saudi coffee. Saudi yellow coffee. Saudi yellow. I looked it up and it gave me here. How to make Arabic coffee Saudi style yellow coffee. Here we go. It's on sa.jura, J-U-R-A, like the mountains, dot com. Uh, ingredients. One espresso macchiato, 10 millimeters of runny honey. That's cute. Runny, funny honey. A generous pinch of saffron. Pour the honey into a glass or cup. Prepare an espresso macchiato in the same glass or cup. Sprinkle the saffron on top of the milk foam. Before drinking, stir the coffee to turn it yellow. How does that sound? Is that the right one? Well, it's close. It's actually made with green coffee beans, but the the saffron and the cardamom are the right things. Yeah. Okay, we're we're getting close here, right? I'll I'll yep. find it. Don't worry. I'll hunt it down. I will because that's the first time we've ever had that. Bravo to you. Thank you very much. And Cindy Housen, I don't know if Rita knows what you're drinking, but she says you would have known what she was going to say. So, Cindy, where are you? And what do you love to drink? And what's your role at Gartner? She knows what I'm drinking, and she's making me look <laughs> extra boring here because I am coffee, pure black. Don't put any of that caramelata, whatever stuff in it. It's pure black coffee. So this sounds really boring, but here's the deal. I lived in Switzerland for eight years. And when I first moved there, I could not drink their coffee. It was too, too strong. And then I came back to beautiful New Jersey, where I'm dialing in from, and I couldn't drink the coffee here. It was like brown water, especially in the New Jersey diners. So my husband gave me for a decade birthday a Swiss coffee maker that grinds the beans, filters the water, and puts that nice little creamy foam on top. And I drink out of a 25-year-old handmade mug from Switzerland that even retains the heat better. And I will tweet a photo of that mug and that coffee maker later. And if you see me at a conference, you know, don't talk to me until I've had a really strong coffee (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> preferably from Starbucks before a conference. 
That is wonderful. I love the idea of the 25-year-old handmade coffee cup, too. That's that's great. Well, bravo. He obviously has good taste in gifts. So tell me now, now that you're powered by the – it's not boring at all, Cindy. Now that you're powered by this special <laughs> coffee, tell me something. What, what's your role at Gartner? And how did you transition, speaking of women making a difference and the X factor and all that good stuff, how did you transition from your own company into a big firm like Gartner? Can you share that with us? Yeah, so, so my role is similar to Rita's. We both are authors of the famous Analytics and BI Magic Quadrant. I also have a passion and new research that we'll be putting out on using data for good in the world to improve society and also have hosted a, a number of networking events for both men and women because we do need men to be part of this if we hope to improve diversity at our events around the world. The transition to Gartner has been great, kind of seamless, three years ago because I've been Mm. doing this work on my own for about 12 years prior, and I needed to grow my team (laughs) or join a great team, and the people that I most liked and valued. Gartner is different from some of the analyst firms in that we focus largely on the end customers. How Mm -hmm. are people using the products? How are they using data to improve their organization, their business? So it's less of a vendor centricity. And so it was a pretty seamless transition. Glad to hear that. Thank you so much. And it's lovely to reconnect with you. And Rita, you don't know me, but you're going to know me better now. I was still uh, trying to find out, and it's called Gulf Arabic Coffee, Kwawa Arabica in some kind of Middle Eastern language. And they say, if you have a batch of green coffee beans, here is this person's method for preparing Gulf Arabic coffee. Uh, coffee is traditionally served with fresh dates or other Middle Eastern sweet meats. However, as truly fresh, juicy dates are virtually impossible to find in Finland, where this person's writing from, you can find any good quality semi-dry Middle Eastern dates instead. So they use unroasted green coffee beans. They use a teaspoon of powdered or finely crushed cardamom seeds, a pinch of saffron, a dash of rose water, and sweet, preferably fresh dates. And you roast the green beans, light green coffee beans, until golden in color. Does that sound more like what you're talking about? That is exactly it. But there's a very important reason why I selected that for today. And I can talk about it later when in, in part of the, uh, the uh, roundtable questions. Yep. Okay, that's fine. Thank you very much. So I did find it. I'm very, very proud of myself. You did. So I, you did. I, I'm, yeah, I just won't rest until I find the source of the drink. So thank you very much. So we're talking today to Shannon Platts, Rita Salam, and Cindy House, and I'm Bonnie D. Graham here in Durham, North Carolina. Well, the garden looks good from my office window. We've had rain off and on for about five days now. Sporadic sunshine. It's overcast and Rumor has it we're going to get more thunderstorms today, so I'm just staying put in my office and hosting radio, and that's going to have to be what it is. But Shannon knows, Cindy may remember, and Rita doesn't know me, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, ladies, so all I'm allowed to have is water. So I have cool, clear water from my Brita filter in a clear mug, and I have a yellow straw hoping that a big yellow sun will come out later today, and that's all I'm saying. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you're keeping count, this is episode number 328. Yes, we do about 48 live shows a year on the series here and proud to say we have a whole host of 
I'll call the mini-series under the Game Changers umbrella. We're up to about 38 other series, and we're debuting three new series, two new ones and one renewal. I have to be precise. Starting next month in June, we're going to have a series on predictive machine learning. Aha. We're going to have one on retail radicals, and we're bringing back our Changing the Game with HR series, which I know will love this topic we're doing today, won't they, Shannon? That's uh, Gabby Berlaku and uh, Dr. Patty Fletcher, both both PhDs. So. I'm going to say to our audience, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We have a lot to talk about here. Our topic is the X Factor. No, not the TV show with the singers. This is the serious stuff. STEM, diversity, bias, data, and the competitive business. How can you contribute to not only advancing the cause of diversity and inclusion, but to the bottom line? Because that's what it's all about. That's why we could use the term business. So, as I said, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. 90 seconds. Count them with us. We'll be right back. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com follow the voice america talk radio network on twitter we're at voice america trn you'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and general happenings that you should know about at the voice america talk radio network now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office just go to twitter.com forward slash voice america trn or follow along with us at voice america trn the voice america talk radio network We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, let's indeed, but I have to do a shout-out to a lady named April Caldwell who is listening. I know she's on the line listening on mute. April, you did a spectacular job helping Shannon put this topic in this panel together, so I want to do a shout-out to April, and thank you so much for your hard work behind the scenes. Now, you're not behind the scenes anymore. So, we're going to start our roundtable on the topic of the X-Factor STEM Diversity Bias Data. I stuck that into the title, Shannon, and the competitive business. Shannon told me the following before. For the show, and let's see where we go with this. She says, acquired diversity in leadership drives inclusive behaviors. Shannon, I'm just going to let you explain that for us. Take about two minutes, and then we'll invite your co-panelists to chime in. Go ahead, Shannon. 
So, first of all, I'd like to say there really are two components to diversity, two types, if you will, of diversity. And one we kind of lean towards more often, and that is the inherent diversity in our age, our nationality, our race, our gender, um, sexual orientation. Um, Those are inherent things. Those are who we are. It's, uh, you know, when you see somebody, you you just, by the way they look and by the way that... uh, you visualize them, you can tell what elements of their diversity makeup will be. But what we also have to understand is that we also enrich in our diversity um, programs and our diversified cultures when we think of the acquired side of diversity. And that's really when we have cultural fluency, um, people with military experience, people with a global mindset, maybe they've lived abroad like Cindy has, you know, where we have um, uh, gender intelligence, where we have cross-functional knowledge between different areas of expertise. These things are very powerful elements of diversity and types of diversity that come together to give us an opportunity to get the strongest cognitive diversity out of the mix of those. And that means really, if we look at Scott Page, who really was a sociologist and and professor at, at Michigan, University of Michigan, he brings this concept of cognitive diversity together. And he says, the more cognitive tools, then the more likely success we ha- will have at developing our t- alternatives and innovating a solution. And I think that really speaks to the power of why the diversity, whether it's acquired or inherent or both, are brought together to give us the true cognitive diversity we seek in our decision-making and in our innovations. And I really feel like these these efforts really then drive with our leadership cultures that inclusive that we need, inclusive behaviors, a speak-up culture, um, really look at that, those elements that then produce innovation and high performance out of our organization. Thank you. Fascinating. Thank you for that distinction. Rita Salam at Gartner. What do you think? Agree or disagree with Shannon? Any shades of meaning you'd like to add? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we need to have diversities of all forms. We need to have teams that look like our customers so we're able to put ourselves in those shoes. And that often means acquiring viewpoints that we aren't born with. Um, I really love, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Medici effect. If you think about, you know, the, the Renaissance time, the world's greatest innovations really have one thing in common, and it is, it is diversity of input. Um, you know, the Medici effect references the explosion of ideas and art and science and astronomy engineering that occurred in Florence during the 15th century. And, you know, we continue to see study after study that just proves that to be the case. Our own CEB, uh, now Gartner, that, uh, has studies that show that employees with inclusive managers are 1.3 times more likely to feel that their innovative potential is unlocked. Um, employees who are able to bring their authentic selves to work are 42% less likely to say that they intend to leave their jobs in a year. So having diversity really does, you know, unlock the potential to serve our customers better um, because we can not only innovate, but really put ourselves in in their shoes and develop products that uh, really reflect what they need. 
Very interesting. I like that statistic. Now, what did you say? Employees who are able to be their authentic selves at work are 42% less likely to leave their jobs in how long, Rita? Within a year. Within a year. Within a year. Interesting. That that says all kinds of interesting things about what we need to embrace and tolerate and allow and accept and encourage and, and highlight and spotlight and live with and cope with in the workplace. I want to hear what Cindy Housen has to say. Yeah, so I do think uh, both the data, what Shannon referred to, there's another study that talks about, they call it two-dimensional diversity, and it, it is that acquired diversity, and this group found that you are 45% more likely to capture new market share if you have leadership with that acquired two-dimensional diversity. I do think, though, we have a challenge that in the industry, a lot of people are using these terms diversity and inclusion interchangeably, but they are Mm -hmm. distinct. And I think it gets at what Rita was saying, the authentic self an environment that truly is inclusive, you can be your authentic self. So if you just hire for females, minorities, different ethnic backgrounds, different age groups even, you will accomplish nothing unless it really is an inclusive environment. Absolutely fascinating. Shannon Platts, you started this interesting part of our roundtable. Any thoughts you want to share to wrap this one up before I move on? You know, the the only thing I would add, and and it is that these have actions behind them. When we talk about this creation of a diverse team, right, that means we must, as leaders, assess the team composition. We must understand that. We must hire. We must bring in the talent that will give us that, that view. We also have to develop ourselves and future leaders with a baseline skill set that thinks of team dynamics and it thinks of team makeup from this perspective. It shouldn't be an afterthought. And so as we as leaders, some of us have been in the workforce for years and we've seen the evolution that's occurring now, it is no longer an evolution we can stand by and wait to happen. We have to have an active role in doing that. And I always like to bring, you know, execution to do's in front of a team of people, of listeners who are saying, how do I make this real for me? Right. And I would say what I would encourage you to do is immediately assess your current situation, both of your own diverse makeup, your own biases and understanding those biases, and then work to start mixing your team up and bringing in dynamics that will force you to really drive a new way of working together and representing a diverse perspective of of ideas. And then allow that to be a speak-up culture. Give everybody the opportunity to be at the table and, and contributing. I think those are things we can all implement after this call while we're getting our next cup of coffee or our next drink. <laughs> we can start these things immediately. We do not have to wait for a big initiative to get these things started. Thank you, Shannon. Very interesting. I want to move on to something uh, I think that is probably on everybody's minds. I'm looking at Rita's notes. Rita, you say algorithms. Everybody talks about machine learning and AI and whether automation is taking over the role of the recruiter. I read an article. I, I do the SAP Digitalist Mag 
voiceovers once a week, and they air on Alexa and iTunes and other voice channels. And there was one recently questioning how is how are the new technologies impacting HR, and one of the articles said that up to a, a large percent of the recruitment process is now being done by machines. It can be done through algorithms and through a substitute for a human, but HR will never stop being a human endeavor, which was encouraging at the end of the article. So here's what Rita says. She says, algorithms are opinions in code, and opinions are indeed bias. Algorithms are used to determine every aspect of life, what news we see. If and at what rate we get credit, what sentence we get if we break the law, and whether or not we get considered for a job or get promoted. Let's talk about that. Algorithms. I think everybody wants to hear what you have to say. Rita? Yeah. So uh, when we create algorithms, we're essentially embedding in those algorithms um, our biases and our opinions. And bias truly is the biggest challenge to being able to solve the diversity problem, um, and it not only affects how we recruit people uh, in HR, it affects how we serve customers. Um, you know, for example, Airbnb had a reservation bias, um, and a group of entrepreneurs essentially just copied their model. It's called Noir BNB, um, so that they could essentially uh, create uh, a more inclusive place for people of color to go to, to rent uh, uh, hotels or rent uh, uh, apartments. And now Air, Airbnb now partners with them to implement bias screening in their own business. And so, uh, you know, how do we address that? It really has to be actively managed um, uh, by, you know, potentially using diverse data sets to use more automated approaches to uh, selecting which variables are used in generating models um, to remove things like bias and resume selection um, and in other talent identification and promotion algorithms. Um, it's, it's a big challenge. Um, part of the solution, too, is actually stripping out um, all, uh, all identifiable um, attributes in resumes, blind resumes that remove demographics from resumes because it, uh, there are studies show that when we don't do that, when we don't remove um, names that indicate a particular person's race or ethnicity or gender, um, for example, there's a 50% lower probability of being selected for an interview if a candidate is black versus white, if that can be told or, or known through the uh, resume. Um, you know, ethnicity revealed in resumes lowered the callback rate by 29% uh, for ethnicity and gender reduced positive screenings by 20%. So removing the input into the algorithms as well as the bias within the algorithms themselves, both of those things are equally important. Things that we have Thank to you. actively manage. Great. Thank you. Cindy Housen, love to get your POV on this. What do you think? Agree or disagree? Do agree. I do think the, bi the biases are not intentional, though. It's accidental. And as human beings, we are all biased. I, I like what Shannon said about we can't wait for this to happen. We have to make it happen. So you have to proactively build a diverse team to tackle some of these unintentional biases. And this is where there was also a study from a researcher at MIT that found, for example, 
that some facial recognition algorithms do not work as well on people with darker skin tones. Now, we can speculate because we know Silicon Valley reports their diversity numbers, and they're not good for blacks and Latinos. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we, we risk having bias at scale if we do not, as Shannon said, make it happen. Thank you very much. Shannon, got to get you in on this conversation. Fascinating. Algorithms, what's your POV here? You know, I think I think the the examples that Rita called out with Airbnb, and um, you know, I think we have to have an openness to understand bias is built in automatically. We are by nature, we as human beings come from where we were raised, our opinions are formed culturally. There's a great resource that I would encourage everyone to, to really take advantage of. It's called Outsmarting the Human Mind. And mm. it is, was developed, it is an assessment that was developed by uh, the dean of the Harvard Psychology Department that really allows you to go in and, and through this website, you can go in and assess yourself on what some of your core biases are. And I think this is it's a tool I've personally used and found it to be incredibly helpful just because I think of myself naturally as someone who champions diversity and thinks about, you know, open, opening up myself and, and my other leaders to think about inclusive ideas. And, and, but we also have to understand that as good as we think we are, we can always be better. And this gave me a tool to understand where I had blind spots to my biases and where I needed to really work on those. And this outsmarting the human mind is, is an assessment you just take, you, know, you go on, it's personal, you don't have to share it with anybody. But it was so insightful and I think it helps us to move to action. The algorithm side of things is, is only going to humans code the algorithms, right? So if humans by nature have bias, and we all do, then the algorithms themselves naturally will have bias. Then mm-hmm. I think what Airbnb did, which was so inspiring, was to say, we, we didn't do what we needed to do. And we went back and we partnered with this company that did this so much better than we had, and they took course corrective action. So I would say to everybody, it's a process. And you need to be open to how you involve and improve everything from the algorithm approach to your own team hiring principles to your leadership development principles. These things are parts of the process that we have to be sensitive to. And it can start with us really being honest with ourselves and assessing where we stand and where our team members stand in their biases because then we can begin to work on incorporating more broad thinking and broad acceptance into the work we do. Thank you, Shannon. Very, very well put. Thank you very much. Um, Rita, before I move on to something from Cindy's list, I have to read something. You sent me a quote from a diversity advocate, Verna Myers, or Verna Myers. I don't know how you pronounce with a little sedilla over the A. The quote is, everybody listen up, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. 
this is a beautiful quote. Rita, how did you find this one? Um, so through our different research, we also had a speaker at our data and analytics summit in Dallas, Laura Sherbin. She's an amazing researcher in the diversity field, and she mentioned it in her presentation. And it's just a beautiful quote because it speaks back to what Cindy said, that you can have, all, and I think Shannon too, you can have all the diversity in the world. You can hire people with diverse backgrounds, but unless you make them feel safe and comfortable and you put them in a position where they can succeed and be their authentic selves, that diversity is not going to result in business impact. And so you really do need to have the combination of diversity and inclusion. And that quote really speaks to that. We really need to have people not only come to the dance, but dance like no one's watching. And that means uh, you know, having both. That's yeah. the name of my original play. I, I videotaped it in New York, and I just produced it here in my community four weeks ago on stage with a cast of 16, uh, eight voice actors unseen and eight dancers meeting for the first time at a Valentine's Masquerade dance being put together by a fictitious Fred and Ginger, and the title of the play is Dance Like No One Is Watching. So that, you, you didn't know, but thanks for the plugs. I appreciate that, Rita. I'm, I'm looking at Cindy's notes. Cindy, I just want to read one thing, not talk about about it, but I just have to mention this. We were talking about doing the right thing and reversing past wrongs. You say you get concerned about reverse discrimination and resentment against male counterparts if less qualified women are being hired or promoted. Right the past wrongs, but ensure you are being fair. But there's here's not where I want to go. I want to go here, Cindy, in your notes. This is important. You say, while wealth and jobs are being fueled by the technology sector, women are leaving IT. And there's been a steady decline of women pursuing degrees in technology in the U.S., Brazil, and Australia. What's going on, Cindy? How do we fix it? Talk to me. Well, I think we need to fix it by making IT look more cool. It's not just about programming. If if you want to major in fashion or marine science, I don't care what it is. Technology is a piece of almost every field now. So I think we need to encourage people to pursue technology, but we have to address how we're educating people. If we're, if we're presenting it as primarily coding, that may not appeal to people, but we need system architects. We need data analysts. We need people that can crunch the numbers, and I think that's the only way to reverse the trend. And there's been some great initiatives by some universities and even some technology giants trying to fix the pipeline problem that we have. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. How are we going to fix this? Shannon Platts, what's your thought? Well, Cindy must have been at my dinner table the other night because I was sitting (laughs) with my daughters and we were talking specifically about this. And I said, you know, you guys are, are by nature. I have one who's a writer and I have one who is a, fashion designer, right? That's their nature. That's their natural gift. It's their passion. Mm-hmm. And and I st- we started talking about the fact that while the sketchbook is so powerful and the notebook is so powerful in getting the ideas down on paper, the way to promote them, the way to get them seen, the way to get them heard, the way to make it a, to bring the vision to life is enabled in today's world through technology. And they, we have always encouraged, uh, my husband and I have always encouraged them 
to pursue the things that are naturally, they're naturally gifted at. But they cannot ignore the fact that they are in a world where technology will be the enabler for them to create, for them to uh, scale and modernize and to reach their audiences. And they have embraced that technology. They are technology savvy. They take those courses. And I think, to Cindy's point, making that appeal broad and pervasive to all of our students so that they see technology is not the code line, but it is the enabler that will drive where they move forward. And I talk, I talk to a lot of, you know, students at the high school and university level. And one of the key things I do is I ask the groups when they come together, bring in multiple majors, bring in kids <coughs> from multiple segments of your, pro- of your program. I don't want to just talk to the kids that are in computer science. I want to talk to the kids who are doing auto mechanics, and I want to talk to the kids that are, you know, wanting to go into the medical field, and I want to talk to the creative, you know, artists, because this is where we have to start engaging technology as the tool that it is and the pervasive, empowering capability that it will determine where they can go in life, and it will determine what level of income and provisioning they can do for their families. It is a baseline skill set that we have to commit to. Thank you. Thank you, dear. I'm going to consider that your prediction because I wasn't paying attention to the clock. This is such a good conversation. We've got three minutes left to close. So I'm going to take that as your prediction for the the prediction crystal ball roundtable. Thank you. That was absolutely perfect. We didn't even know it and you were giving your prediction. Rita Salem at Gartner, I can give you 60 seconds. That's all we have for you. Give me your prediction. Where is this going? What's going to happen between now and let's say uh, 2020 or 2025 with diversity, uh, inclusion for women in leadership roles and in tech. Go ahead, Rita. Yeah, I'm actually optimistic. I actually think that the diversity will be a key way that companies are valued alongside of cash flow and profitability. Um, I think just like the need for data and analytics is sort of central and a given for business success, I believe the need for diversity in driving business performance will just be a given by then. I mean, there's just so much overwhelming uh, evidence and momentum around that. And I really do have a lot of faith in the up-and-coming up generation. Uh, you know, they seem to really uh, view, uh, I think they see less of a chasm uh, and, and less differences among people and are more likely uh, to help us in, in solving the gap than, say, our, us, our generation and older. So I'm really optimistic. Thank you you very much. We see a change in how diversity is viewed, even at the sort of Wall Street level. Terrific. Hope so. And Cindy Housen, I saved 60 seconds for you. That's all we've got. Go ahead. Yeah. So I'll give you one from the U.S. Department of Labor. If we continue on this track, women will account for less than 3% of the tech jobs by 2020. That's the dire prediction. So I do think a number of things are in place to address that. I think Rita is right that we will start to see the relationship of diversity initiatives included in companies' annual reports. Some are already doing that. And so I think we'll get there eventually. 
Thank you very much. I want to thank all of you. We are at the end of the show. Shannon Platts, thank you for suggesting the topic. And again, April Caldwell did a spectacular job putting it all together. Rita Salem at Gartner. Pleasure to meet you, Cindy Housen. Don't let it be so many years before we reconnect. I appreciate it. And a shout out to Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Shannon Platts, just like Rita Salam, just like Cindy Housen, and just like April Caldwell. I included you there. I'll be back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern, with another episode of Something Under the Game Changers banner. Let me surprise you here on the Business Channel. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.